Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a small-town pizza chef with a wandering eye and a wife who decides not to put up with his philandering. She enlists the help of her mother, her young co-worker, and two stoner hitmen called Harlan and Marlon James to bump her husband off. Unfortunately, he proves unkillable, and their repeated assassination attempts succeed only in causing him inconvenience or mild injury. But if he can't be killed, then maybe, just maybe, neither can their marital love. Is what I would be saying if this were a adaptation of the 1990 comedy Love You to Death, starring Kevin Kline, Tracy Ullman, William Hurt, and Keanu Reeves. This is instead simply a hapless, bumbly chat podcast in which we talk about films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, my long-term podcast partner, who I sure hope isn't recording a poorly prepped, off-the-dome stream of consciousness with anybody else, Danny Moran. That's a bit of an Ira Glass cadence. Danny Moran. Coming up on the show. (laughs) Hello! On this week's film chat, Sam reviews the sequel to John Wick. The film's title, John Wick Chapter 2. It's the sequel to the action film about a hirsute hitman acting revenge on the people who killed his dog, and also anybody else who happened to be in the way. Sam will be telling us what the dog-to-human death ratio is in the new installment, and also whether it's any good. Then, I prove that I am a 21st century guy by reviewing a film about a bunch of 20th century women. The film's title, 20th Century Women. It's Mike Mills' sweet and moving tribute to his mother that, while touching in and of itself, makes the rest of us bros look bad. You know what I got my mum last Mother's Day? A candle on a Michael Bublé CD. How do you think it looks like now, Mike Mills? Prick. I also review music documentary We Are X, all about Japan's most successful band. Their name? X. In order of X's musical style, I will be delivering my review in the form of a 20-minute drum solo, which I refuse to cut down. Plus, we wonder if two spoonfuls of sugar will make the medicine go down again. When discussing the latest casting around the Mary Poppins sequel, we wonder whether hiring Mel Gibson is what's really going to kick the DC Extended Universe into gear, and using the latest technology, we wonder what it would be like to sit down for a chat with Christian Grey. Our inner goddesses cannot wait. All of which should leave me just enough time before my latest impression. Tom Hardy, reading a story for CBBS, but as his character from The Revenant. That's been Dr. Zeus. Uncanny. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Boo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films. 
We got a bit of correspondence that we failed to read out last week. We're going to do that right now. It's from Duke McQueen. He says, Dear Film Chat, I still haven't seen La La Land, but I assume it's a tunnel of poo-poo. BAFTA sent out a very strong press release recently about how a film won't be eligible for an award from 2018 onwards if it isn't diverse. And yet, presented with Moonlight, a gay African-American movie widely considered to be the best of the year, they choose instead to give all the awards to a film that's by all accounts as diverse as an Eaton Parents' Day. What's up with that? Well... Dougal, I think you make a valid point. It absolutely does. What is up with that? Um, you made a good tweet about this, Danny. A good tweet came out of our account, written by you earlier today. Yeah. In which you pointed out that the black characters in La Land are props and the uh, the black characters in Moonlight are characters. Which That's is... the kind of insightful shit I just say on Twitter all the time. And people aren't liking my tweets enough. At Podcast Film Chat, peeps. At BBC Film 2017 like my tweet. Yeah. And they're like on tv but you did like that was like a hashtag you pointed out to them right i did directly tweet hashtag. Them. you tweeted at them <laughs> you know we'll really have made it when they just like in one of your like uh you know funny shia LaBeouf based uh mashup video tweets or whatever whatever it is you do i don't know what it is you do <laughs> what do you use that account for uh but yeah no it's a good point black characters barely crop up in la la land except to be danced around by gosling or um sort of of pointed out for, for playing jazz they pop out of the back of a van at one unfortunate uh, visual moment or they take the form of john legend a man whose plot purpose is almost to be the villain of the film but he's like very nice and does only good things <laughs> um it's strange i guess the good thing about moonlight snubbing is that it's just made it apparent that they don't have the strength for their convictions it's almost like last year with the Oscars so white. I know we're talking about the BAFTAs, but it was almost like there weren't uh, many black nominations because there weren't that many black films just in the conversation to begin with. Mm. And now, like a film almost tailor-made to the specification of the award show, which is actually also very, very good, has come along. And they haven't? Still can't. They still can't still bring themselves to do it? Yeah, it's a bit unfortunate. I wonder what the voting system is like for BAFTA. Because I know with... Uh, Oscars is preferential voting, which has caused a change in the sort of trends of the movies that win in the last five years or so. Mm. Because people might vote for Moonlight for best film, but it might not get enough best film across the. People uh, put it like second or third or whatever, and like... well, no, it's actually the opposite. Like people like the second and third movies have a better oh, chance I of see. winning I overall. See what you mean, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why movies about Hollywood have sort of like triumphed in a way because no one's arrogant enough to put it as the number one pick but enough people are arrogant enough to put it as number two or arrogant i don't know maybe they think it's a good film but just i butted up yeah exactly i think yeah. maybe if you were like working hollywood and like which movie did you vote for it's like the one about the place where i work and the people i like you know there should be there should be um a big industry film awards but they're only voted for by like the steel workers union or something <laughs> or like a single like niche industry and we'll just see if every year the one film that's about them wins <laughs> I think it Regardless should be its like that um, that GOAT that predicts elections results. Just get the GOAT to do it. Yeah. There's a variety of like animals that predict the results. Was there stuff. an octopus that was predicting the World Cup at some point? Yeah, stuff? just yeah. get the octopus to call the uh, Oscars. But for the sake of diversity, shouldn't it be like 3,000 different animals? <laughs> From all across uh, the whole spectrum of the animal kingdom? Yeah. All picking things at random? It'd be like, it's like that, uh, you know, line about the monkeys and the typewriters writing Shakespeare or whatever, but like, you know, you don't need the outcome to be Shakespeare. Anything is valid. Yeah. So you might as well get a thousand monkeys to do it. 
<laughs> don't you think it would be a good it comment? Was the best picture. Like it was the blurst picture. <laughs> it would be kind of a comment on the Oscars, would it not? For one year, oh, yes. for them to just reveal that all of the voters were animals and they picked things completely at random and you idiots still thought it was a prestigious important award even though you only won the oscar because like 75 out of 80 yeah. goats yes sort of stamped their hoof <laughs> on your face so yeah that's what happened when banksy hosts the oscars yeah <laughs> that's gonna be the banksy oscars it's gonna be sick keeping on the subject of the award season tim rogers has done what we really should have done as an official podcast and he's watched all the academy award nominated best pictures i'm, and well, has, I'm well impressed by that and has ranked them number one manchester by the sea a comfortable win says tim two hell or high water three arrival four fences five moonlight brackets four and five are very close six hidden figures fluffy but worthy fluff seven la la land sue me it's not the worst film on this list Eight, Lion. The first half hour of Lion would rank about number two on the list, but the rest of the film drags it down to second last. And nine, Hacksaw Ridge. Fun, and I enjoyed it, but pretty stupid and really has no business being in the best picture category. Quite a masculine ranking with the top two focusing on men and issues of manhood, but not many female-led noms this year. And then he added, Nocturnal Animals definitely should have replaced Hacksaw Ridge. Wow. It's an interesting list. Hell or High Water at number two is quite an interesting choice. I saw that. I thought it was okay. It didn't blow me away, though. Um, but I don't know. Uh, this is Tim's list is kind of the opposite of your um, preferential voting issue, you know. Yeah. In that um, Tim should be in the academy. He's put like in this case, you know, hell or high water would get nowhere because presumably it would like you know just get cancelled out early on in the preferential voting system. I think that because neither Danny or I have seen all these movies, we have to defer to the list as correct because uh, he's the only out of the three of us. You know, we have a microphone, but he's actually seen the films. But you've seen Manchester by the Sea, Hello High Water, and Arrival. Yeah. Is Moonlight better than those three films? Uh, yes. <laughs> according well, to you. Yeah, according to me. Uh, yeah. I mean, think Manchester by the Sea, I think, is like, I can really understand why that would go at the top. I think that the sort of adoration for Arrival is a little surprising, to be honest. Like, quite, I think it's, it's a good movie, but I'm kind of surprised people went so crazy for it. It's quite slight, I feel. It's like, it's... Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of awe and spectacle, but like, is that like a lot going on? I don't know. Like, it has it's just a, a sort of, I don't know. I think maybe people really like it because it's a kind of parable about global cooperation and everyone's like, we need that. Yes. So I think maybe, maybe that's other. why, yeah, I think maybe that's why it's, uh, why people love it so much. It's a good movie, but like it is, does seem, I think it's got like an outsized. This is the problem reception. with the awards ceremony in general, because it tends to be in a competition and the movie like Arrival, I like it. But now if someone says like, I like Arrival more than Moonlight, but like you're a fucking idiot. Arrival's a piece of shit. Moonlight's genius. You're a moron. Yeah. I hate you. I don't think about you. If Arrival <laughs> wins Best Picture, then the producer should be like, everyone wins. Everyone gets the award. It should be like the end of Mean Girls where she breaks up her crown and gives it to everyone. Yes. He should do that, like to start dismantling his Oscar statuette and giving it out in the spirit of the movie. Exactly. And then he should spray black ink into everyone's faces and start making some eerie... <laughs> That's his acceptance speech. You should start wailing noises. Wailing to a piece of paper. And everyone's like, what? It's like... <laughs> and Amy Adams comes up and translates it. Yeah, and it means... It's, it's like the movie, lol. Yeah. <laughs> There was a music awards ceremony once where the uh, musical artist Fever Ray uh, came up to collect an award and she was just wearing some kind of like alien mask and just like made some garbled alien noises into the microphone for her acceptance speech. She just kind of went and then just like walked off. And 
that's what they should do with a rival. You should come up in like a 20 foot high, like giant tentacle costume and just start spraying ink into everyone's faces. I think you should have to accept your award as the character from your film. Yeah, yeah, in character. In character. Wouldn't that make these boring ass ceremonies much more interesting? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, um, who's the kid who's in, um, uh, this is such a random movie to immediately <laughs> think of, but that Tom Hanks Seaborn film. Seaborn film? You know, where he's the captain. Captain Phillips. Seaborn <laughs> film. Yeah. Captain Phillips. Like the oh, kid. Barkan Abdi. Yeah, Barkan Abdi, yeah. Like, I'm the should... captain now. <laughs> yeah, I win the Oscar now. I win the Oscar now. Yeah, he should come and he's like dressed in these, you know, sort of rags, pirate rags. Yeah. He just Te- bursts on ter- the stage. Bursts on stage holding in like a Kalashnikov. He's like terrifying everyone. I, I, hold the Oscar. I host the Oscars now. Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. Sam, do you like the film Mary Poppins? Yes, of course I do. It's a charming, delightful classic film. Well, you'll be pleased or horrified to know they're making a sequel. Mary Poppins Returns. No, that's which... good. Just more, Mary... I think more of anything I liked is good. Well, then... Can't spoil my childhood. <laughs> Give me more of it. Well, the cameras are rolling, and this is... Um, there's been a few news stories about it, but we haven't covered it. But exciting new casting has emerged that Angela Lansbury, legendary star of stage and screen, has joined the cast. And she is joining Emily Blunt, who's taking on the role of Mary Poppins, Ben Whishaw, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Meryl Streep, plus Colin Firth... And Julie Walters. Whoa. There's just so much British charm so in this So much delightful British talent. It's going to be directed by Rob Marshall, who did Chicago and Nine and the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And perhaps most excitingly, well, most excitingly for me, Dick Van Dyke is reprising his role. What? Yes. <laughs> and he's the- alive and he's back. And he's, and he's going to have to unlearn all of the accent classes that they forced him <laughs> to attend after that film. And it's going to be called Mary Poppins Returns, and it's going to be based on the other books in the Poppins series. And it's going to find uh, the magical nanny returning to Depression-era London to find that Jane and Michael, the kids from the first movie, have grown up. And Michael has three children of his own, and they all need a little help rediscovering the joy of life. Thank God they have children. Otherwise, she'd have to be a nanny to like grown-up adults. And yeah. The whole atmosphere of the film be off. Yeah, I think this is um, one of those things where... If they said they're going to make a sequel to Mary Potter, I'd be like, eh, but like all the casting, I think, is pretty solid. You've got to put Wishaw in it, don't you? He's just a National Blade treasure, isn't he? Well, he, de- he's, he definitely got the voice that kind of captures the, uh, you know, cute Britishness that you want. Exactly. They've got the original casting for Paddington and the, like, ultimate casting <laughs> for Paddington. It's all in the film. And Judy Waters is in Paddington. Yeah. Anyone who's in Paddington. They just want it to be like Paddington, I think. Yeah. I think it's a good uh, move getting Lin-Manuel Miranda. The Sherman Brothers, I think only one of them has left. He can't write any more songs. The guy's old as fuck. Need yeah. a, a young, hot, awesome songwriter. Get the Hamilton Is guy. Is it all going to be rap? Is it going to be hip, hip, hip-hop? Oh, but I don't know. I, I hope so. I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I really hope Dick Van Dyke reprises his accent. Just like, <laughs> famously terrible accent, but now 90. Mary Poppins. <laughs> it's Oliver It's Oliver Brave. You know what they're trying to do? It's hard to do like ancient old man. Yeah, it's like McKellen crossed with bad English accent, yeah, because he's old. You know what I hope they do, but they probably won't. But just do two D animation like the first movie. That would be cool. But I reckon they'll just for go a little for CGI. bit. I don't know. There's this amazing story where, like, uh, which I hope is true, 
this could be like bullshit, but Dick Van Dyke used to be like quite a heavy drinker, mm-hmm. and I was just like an alcoholic, and like he was heavily drinking throughout the um, making Mary Poppins. So he went to the premiere with like not that much memory of shooting it, and he like was watching it, and he's like dancing with penguins and stuff, and had like no memory of it whatsoever. He's like, "What did I do last summer?" He's like there with this bizarre accent dancing about. Yeah, in fairness, <laughs> they, the penguins would not have been there anyway at the time. Yeah, he, they could have just filmed him like drunkenly stumbling around and drawn the penguins in afterwards. The whole movie was built around his just drunken because, performance. He doesn't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He thought he was just doing his own voice. That's just step how he sounds when he's time, drunk. Step in time. You saw Into the Woods. Does Emily Blunt have the pipes to be? Uh... I seem to recall she had very adequate pipes for that film. Yeah, I do. I do. Didn't remember finding her pipes in like you know not up to scratch. Yeah. So. uh yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like Mary Poppins is actually a film that I only saw for the first time quite recently. It's one of those films where all the different scenes and stuff are very famous, but I hadn't like sat down and watched it. But it doesn't have like a real strong childhood pull on me, you know, as a kind of untarnishable, sacred classic. Right. So I'm kind of fine, like, you know, go ahead, do it. Do it. It may well be total shite, but, you know. Not that cast. Not do you, wish but do you think the cast, I mean, the cast is good, but it is a little bit like cast by producers, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just all the all the hot, cool people from the other movies you liked. But, you know, whatevs. Maybe it'll be good. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Another important property, Suicide Squad. Yes. Um, also getting a sequel. Which is, in its own way, has had as much cultural impact and is as beloved as Mary Poppins. Uh, we saw this last year. It was extremely terrible. One of the things that we didn't like about Suicide Squad was that it was a bit over uh, masculine in a kind of like teen, horny teen boy kind of way. Yeah. Where everyone like growls and it's all a bit too cool. And they've all got like <sighs> big muscles and guns and like the women are only there to sort of shake their booty and so on. Um, and it does not look like that is an approach they are backing away from because it looks like the director of the sequel may be Mel Gibson. It, he has confirmed that he is in talks to direct it. They've just spoken to him, and apparently the word on the street, and by street I mean Twitter, because that is the information superhighway of today, is that uh, the studio wants him and that if Gibson wants the job, he can have it. Uh, Mel Gibson has done pretty good job um, of rehabilitating his career after he exploded it with like uh, just a string of bizarre and outrageous incidents um, and sort of extreme like <laughs> racism and anti-Semitism and uh, misogyny misogyny and all the sort of bad isms that you don't want in a public figure. He, he went for them wholeheartedly, but he's made some movies that people liked and he's grown a big old beard that shows he's changed. He's matured. You know, it took, it took him a while to grow that. Yes, exactly. His racist chin is now covered up by hair. And uh, Hacksaw Ridge, which film which he just directed, has obviously been a success at the Oscars. So I guess people are like, that's fine. Like, I don't care how much you hate the Jews. Like, well, isn't Suicide Squad about these bad people seeking redemption? That is a good point. And what is Mel Gibson? He is, I don't know, he's 
trying to. So they're like, we should get a supervillain to direct the movie. In a bit they approached Milo Yiannopoulos, but yeah. he was like. Yeah. <laughs> when Vaughn Davis is like, I want to get some bad people to do some good things or whatever. That's like the studio boss at DC. Oh, shit. They just got like a. We need some disgraced directors to do the Suicide Squad franchise. Yeah, that's a good connection, which, which I did not mean. Uh, Gibson has made some comments that are a little down on superhero movies, thus making him sound like perhaps not you know, the obvious choice. This is back in November. Uh, he was asking about his opinion of mass budget superhero movies, and he said, I look at them and scratch my head. This is an impression of my Gibson I'm doing, by the way. I'm really baffled by it. I think there's a lot of waste. But maybe if I did one of those things with the green screens, I'd find out different. I don't know. Maybe they do cost that much. I don't know. Seems to me you could do it for less. And <laughs> Gibson asked his interviewer how much Batman v Superman cost, and then he was told that it cost more than $250 million. And he <laughs> replied, and it's a piece of shit. And he's talking about superhero movies. He says, I'm not interested in this stuff. Do you know what the difference between real superheroes and comic book superheroes is? Real superheroes didn't wear spandex. So, I don't know. Spandex must cost a lot. Cutting. Cutting. Um, I don't know. It's a, it is a funny choice. Your kind of connection that it's like the like story <laughs> of the film playing out in real time is uh, somewhat apposite. As long as he's then thrown back into, you know, the slammer. And if he, like, if he tries to leave the movie halfway through, his head explodes or something. Maybe he doesn't want to direct Suicide Squad, but he has to. They've got, like, more dirt on him. Yeah. Like, in the same way they've got, like, uh, minds in the brain that are going to explode. He's like, we've got some really damning video footage of you being really anti-Semitic. And yeah. we'll release it unless you direct Suicide Squad. And then, like, you, Suicide Squad 2 comes out and they're like, we're not actually, we're going to keep this and you have to direct <laughs> Batman 4. And he's like, oh, he just has to keep on making action films for DC. Yeah. It's like it's like what um, Scientology has on John Travolta or something. He just can't leave. He just can't leave. Yeah. They're never gonna let him make the Maccabees. Um, all right. Has he got the script for that yet? Uh, we should ask him. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astoundingly poor? Out of Danny for the judgment, we're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, 20th Century Women, this is the latest film from Mike Mills, who previously made Thumbsucker and Beginners, which was a while ago, like 2010, for which Christopher Plummer won his Oscar. And that was all about his dad, and this one's all about his mum. So the plot is, during the summer of 1979, a Santa Barbara single mum and boarding house landlord, played by Annette Benning, decides the best way she can parent her teenage son, Lucas Zaid Zuman, what an awesome name, is to enlist her young tenants, a quirky punk photographer, Greta Gerwig, a mellow handyman, Billy Crudup, and her son's shrewd best friend, Elle Fanning, to serve as role models in a changing world. And here is a clip of uh, Annette Benning and her son discussing heartbreak after he's had a bit of a tete-a-tete with uh, Elle Fanning. Stop. What? Thinking that you know everything that's going on. No, I don't. I just think that, you know, having your heart broken is a tremendous way to learn about the world. Okay. Do you think you're happy? Like, as happy as you thought you'd be when you were my age. Seriously? You don't ask people questions like that. You're my mom. 
to your mom. Look, wondering if you're happy, it's a great shortcut to just being depressed. Give me that. So I thought this was great. I really liked it. I think, it looks very likable from the trailer. I think from the trailer and that blurb, it suggests a certain kind of movie of a sort of quirky, kind of mid-noughties indie movie. There are going to be some acoustic guitar moments. They're going to learn some lessons. They're, they're going to, family's going to shout at each other, but in the end, they'll find out they really love each other. Exactly. And it is much more complicated and nuanced and involving than that. It's a far more true-to-life tale than the trailer suggests. And the thing that reminded me of most was the graphic novel Fun Home by Alison Bechdel and Persepolis. Those kind of stories about authors looking at their childhood and particularly looking at their parents with the sort of wisdom of time and the way you sort of view your parents in a certain way as a kid. And then only when you reach adulthood, you sort of think back to your memories and then you sort of realize what your parents were going through at the time. And like those graphic novels, it is like a series of vignettes, but it all hangs together because the characters and the performances are so charming that it's just cool to hang out with these characters and it sets up this very laconic hangout vibe early on and it's just you just kind of wallow in the movie it is like two hours long and it has no car chases it's a very slow movie it's a good afternoon film despite having a man who works with cars billy crudup yeah but he doesn't doesn't chase it him keeps on one. teasing a car chase the whole movie but it never happens and the characters are really great that's my point and i will not expand upon that annette benning is always really good and i feel that just because there aren't that many roles for women in their 50s she's like got this great role and she's like running with it and again the trailer suggests like sort of crazy hippie mom raises kid but it's much more nuanced than that and she does this amazing job of being stoic and vulnerable at the same time and there's loads of gear shifts in her performance but the actual writing is very day-to-day it's a movie where there's no huge arguments or people yelling at each other but it has that sort of thing where you can really hurt someone's feelings without trying to and big just, emotional just like mo- life just just like life and big emotional moments happen just in daily conversations like they do and like it's the sort of thing i feel like biopics really stumble into where a person is not the summation of the most seismic events in their life it's all the little bits yeah yeah and it really captures that kind of minutiae of life really well and the relationships it depicts aren't unconventional but they are under documented in movies and i really liked his relationship with the l fanning character because he's got this sort of he's in love with her and she's who's he the son the son sorry he's in love with her and she doesn't feel the same way about him and uh she doesn't feel the same way about him for the whole movie and you know sometimes you just like somebody and they like you back and that's life and I liked how it didn't fall into the kind of shallow reading of like men and women can't be friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can be. I'm looking at you, Harry Met Sally. Bad message of that movie. And Greta Gerwig is also brilliant. I kind of am slightly in love with her. So I feel I'm maybe yeah. blinded by how uh, awesome she is. She's very cool. She's very cool. And again, she's the cool photographer character. But there's an interesting thing in the movie where it's like, coming of age story isn't what it really is and it's all about how you never really come of age you only just become less naive but that doesn't mean you become more wise and so all the characters are going through their various stuff and they're all various ages they're all different types of 20th century women but none of them really know what they're doing yeah and it's kind of refreshingly complex and it offers no easy resolutions or morals to the story. And it's not like at the end of the movie, you feel like you've learned something. It's just, you've captured this bit of moment in time. 
occasionally there are certain stylistic tricks that Mike Mills uses, which are a little twee. Like Beginners was a bit like that. And I think he's like matured a bit as a filmmaker and he doesn't lean on it so much. But I think because the movie is so laconic and feel so authentic when they have these like very stylized moments it is a bit at odds with the actual tone of the film and there's also this quite overused score music which is a bit invasive and it's a bit like trying to impose a tone on the film which it doesn't really need to do is it like a sort of flamenco guitar riff it's like <laughs> yeah every time anyone looks at somebody that's right. <laughs> no it's this all like general wave of sound to just general melancholy and yeah what have you there's a tuba starts going exactly every time like the fattest character walks into the room (laughs) that's the one uh but i wish they hadn't like in a way doesn't really need score music because the source music's really great because greta gerwig is into cool music and they play a lot of talking heads and the talking heads is a brilliant band so in a way i was just like dump this composer just shout out for more david byrne royalties yeah and the movie would have been better but it's in a way like the flaws in the movie are like kind of very forgivable because it's all so sincere and it's obviously one man's relationship with his mum and everything is so heartfelt that any kind of missteps stylistically don't really matter and it's so brilliantly performed by all the actors it just kind of sweeps you along it's a very thoughtful film and i think the lack of narrative convenience means you work a little harder as an audience member and it makes the whole thing just all the richer so i would heartily recommend it danny you saw this movie with your mother and did it illuminate things in your relationship? Did you come out crying? I was, we were both each crying. Other? We were clutching each other. We had to be removed because we were there for forty <laughs> minutes, and the next showing it started playing. Yeah, and they were like, to be forcibly re- removed by a member of the cinema and his mother. His mother, she was there too. <laughs> they dragged us out, and then we all got a cup of tea together and talked oh. about life, and you know how she's trying to do the best for me, and I want the best for her, and what does it all mean, you know? we're like connected you know you can never like there's a there's a physical connection and birth but then that's severed but like spiritually man the umbilical cord is never severed spiritually the spiritual cord is forever present yeah and i've actually got another umbilical cord to my dad as well a spiritual one as well what that's also not didn't even exist ever physically but spiritually it exists so take your mum to see 20th century woman take your mum unless you are a mum in which case take your son take your son if you don't have a son Dress up your daughter as a son. If you don't have a son, make a son. And then take your son to see 20th Century Women. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are going to help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. John Wick 2. I went to see this film. I enjoyed the original John Wick. It had a bit of a, like, outsized impact for your average action thriller. It sort of, on paper, looks like just another one of these, like, surprisingly old man kills a lot of people movies, uh, which we see all the time, post-taken, various old guys have tried their hand at it. But Keanu Reeves, he's a little bit younger than some of those dudes. He's got more experience in the shooty, shooty world. Uh, He's handsomer than many of them. Great uh, And John Wick was very successful, and it had a sort of air of coolness um, and a style to it that some of these other movies did not have. People really took to it. Everyone loved John Wick. Everyone was getting John Wick tattoos, both the tattoos that he has in the film and tattoos of him. (laughs) I believe they're both very popular. So that has spawned a sequel, John Wick Chapter 2. And I was in the mood. I was like, I could go and, like, catch up on some of these Oscar films I haven't seen, or I could just see Keanu Reeves, like, shoot some people or whatever. And so I did that. 
Okay. So this takes this picks up uh, pretty much directly from the end of the first movie, in which his his dog was killed and his car stolen, um, and then he went on a murderous rampage as a result. And he's tying up loose ends at uh, in the beginning of this film from the previous film, and then he gets pulled back in for one no. last job. Blah blah blah. He tries to retire again. He can't retire. Oh. Poor guy, he just cannot retire. And as a result of being pulled back into this uh, dark, spooky underworld, he's got to go and fire some shots at people's heads until they're dead. Here's a clip of him chatting to Lawrence Fishburne, who crops up in the movie. He's offered $7 million for your life. $7 million is a lot of money, Mr. Wick. So I guess you have a choice. You want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? Somebody, please get this man a gun. Let's go. Your descent into hell begins here, Mr. Wick. Earl will guide you. Do be careful on your way down. Oh, and remember, you owe me. You don't want me owing you. So it is a film which does what you'd expect, basically. I think like the central issue with John Wick Chapter 2 is that the first movie was a surprise and this movie is catering to the first movie and so it is not a surprise in any way. Right. So in the, the first film, you are enjoying seeing these things unfold, which are new to you. He's like, it takes place in this very graphic novel-esque kind of heightened reality where everything is cooler than it is you know but with no real explanation you know what i mean like everyone is wearing incredible vintage suits and there's this sort of underworld of like hitmen that's not really explained they got like a secret cult and you know everything is awesome and it was like fun seeing all that stuff played out and it had a very particular vision as well and it was obviously you know made by people who really knew what they wanted to show you yeah there was like factory line about it yeah it had a real confidence to it yeah exactly yeah it wasn't like made to a studio prescription it was like uh in a way it was almost like deadpool and it felt like these two sort of like dorks who love a particular thing you know doing it to the utmost those talented dorks those talented dorks yeah it's directed by chad stahelski and david leach or david leich not completely sure that surname is pronounced who are both stunt people their background is in stunts um and chad stahelski was john uh, sorry was keanu reeves stunt double on in the matrix anyway so all of those things that people loved about John Wick in the first one are back in the second one. Brilliant. And they're kind of turned up, you know, to nine instead of seven. Um, and they're saving 11 for the next movie. That'll be the third movie. Uh, this is out of 55. <laughs> <laughs> they got a lot of movies to make. No, so I think that, like, the, the impact of it is kind of intrinsically kind of underwhelming. And it, it has... It's a little bit like just chained by the expectations related to the cool guy is back and he's got to do exactly the same cool things again the film had a particular kind of fighting style as well that he did a lot of like close quarter wrestling kind of combat and like headshots he tends to fight people in relatively enclosed spaces and a bunch of guys run in and he shoots them all and he's like wrestling one guy he shoots another guy uh but like having seen the first movie after about you know 45 minutes of this movie and there's a lot of action in the movie he shoots many many dudes it's got a much bigger body count i think you've kind of seen the tricks right there's not really that many different ways to do it and by the very final action scene it was a bit like they just it was the same scene but like in a different setting right, right, right and especially because 
it loses a bit of the like it starts to take you out of the the suspension of disbelief a bit because it's like people don't actually fight that way like they don't just do the same exact moves over and over again and the movie already has quite a video game-esque feel to it because of this like at times it's a bit like um uh time crisis you know uh where you like go to like an arcade and you sort of shoot the gun and people just sort of pop up from things and yeah, you yeah. have to shoot them and it's just like endless bad guys like running at you um and you're just sort of popping them off and that's what he is doing constantly uh and when he's like constantly doing it in like the exact same way where he like flips a guy over slams them on the ground or like puts his legs around someone and like twists them and then he's just sitting on the ground and he shoots a few more other guys you know Sounds it's like awesome no, it's cool boring. no it is no. cool but like but once you've seen it enough yeah, yeah, yeah. and it loses its coolness because you're just seeing them him executing the moves that you've you know you've seen before how's keanu in it Keanu is like he's good i mean he was good in the original role he's doing very much the same thing again i think that part of the i don't think it was bad but i don't sound too too down i thought it was like fine and i think that anyone who liked the first movie would probably enjoy the second one equally and i think that it does one thing very successfully uh, and this is related to Keanu's performance as well which is that if it evokes coolness but in a way that is like both knowing and like effectively cool so i think um action movies usually are trying to be cool in some way and coolness i think is like a certain a combination of like style and poise and like authenticity yeah and that to be cool you have to be like at least give the impression of being authentic you know because if you're putting on a facade yeah that's cool, lame yeah cool people don't wonder if they're cool or not they're too busy being cool exactly exactly and uh i think what's successful about this movie is that it is like sort of the right amount of like cartoonish and also the right amount of sincere so that all of those cool aspects which are somewhat stupid and silly just fit in yeah does that make sense like it's a bit like kingsman in that it's all about the kind of clothes and the all bond even you know it's about the like he's he's very careful about what he wears and like everything is you know vintage and like awesome it's obviously been like chosen very carefully but it's all part of the vibe of the film in a way that sort of feels fun rather yeah. than like a twat it's a bit gq-y <laughs> but i think it works yeah, yeah i don't know if i'm explaining that real well but no, no, no i was gonna say like i can't remember who said it but someone summed up the appeal of keanu reeves and like he's half layback slacker bro you could see hanging out with and half like messiah like jesus figure yeah and that makes him likable and badass at the yeah, same I th- time. I think that's a really good way to put it. And actually, I think one of the things that's successful about this movie is that unlike almost every other movie of this kind, you could kind of imagine him like actually retiring. <laughs> that like it's all about how he wants to retire, but he can't because he keeps getting pulled back in or whatever. I gotta shoot this guy in the head. But in the yeah. scenes, I think the f- he's got a new dog by the way in this movie. Oh, brilliant! He doesn't die, does it? No, the dog does not die. Thank Spoiler God. alert: the dog is fine. But Wait. the um. I think the dog is helps this kind of central conceit of the movie quite a lot because it's like, of course you just want to hang out with that dog. You know? Why would you want to kill people when you could just spend time with your adorable dog? And the dog kind of makes his dream of not being a hitman seem like a plausible thing that he might actually want to do. Because when he's like hanging out in his flat, stroking his dog's head or whatever, he's probably he seems like he's having a good time, you know? <laughs> um so I I think like he carries that kind of like you know, burdened with awesomeness, you know, dark soul thing quite, quite well. It's not like you actually care, but it doesn't just seem like up itself and obnoxious in the way the Bond franchise does. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's a film where you will not be surprised going to see it. It's got, you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. You probably don't get quite enough invention for it to be really a success, but it is, there's a lot, there's quite a few moments in it where I laughed a bit. There's some like funny bits 
it's got a nicely diverse cast there is no bit where they just like shove a woman's boobs in your face because they feel they're obliged to which they did do in the first movie and they didn't do in this one which was nice to see they've grown they've grown up a bit um and uh yeah it's you know somewhat rote but um has enough of what made the first movie enjoyable to be fine and i don't regret going to see it fuck you hidden figures okay <laughs> cool <laughs> <laughs> my favorite film stars bridget bardo she's the queen but she wants to be in radio so she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end Sam, and yet another film at the London Film Festival. I saw so many. Still living off that. I'm still living off. That was a good investment of my time. There's a bunch of movies that will never see the light of day I saw. Wasted time. But We Are X is coming out next Thursday for one day only. It is a music documentary all about the band X. You know, from Japan. I love X. Do you know, do you ever heard of them? No, I haven't. Although I do remember you telling me about this movie. And I feel like there was one song of theirs that I had heard with some like uh, Mozart symphony sample. Quite possibly. They do like the lush strings and orchestrations. They do like that. <laughs> Why am I talking like this? So it is directed by this guy called Stephen Kajak. He has got former music documentaries. He directed Scott Walker, 30th Century Man, and Stones in Exile, the documentary about the making of Exile on Main Street. And it is a documentary structured around the days leading up to X playing Madison Square Gardens in 2014, but it also tells the history of the band how they formed and how they evolved over 30 years with various successes and tragedies. And it features interviews with all the bands, but it's mainly focused on the founder and main songwriter of the band, Yoshiki, who is also the drummer. And I couldn't find a clip, so I thought I'd play a bit of one of their biggest hits, Endless Rain. Yeah, I think sort of Spinal Tap mixed with the kind of music they play over like an anime long-running series, that kind of music. That's sort of it. And their music is overproduced, kind of overblown, melodramatic, but ultimately very sincere. And that is sort of what the band is like as well. And I enjoyed the documentary a lot. I think it's quite conventional, but it wasn't a problem for me because everything was new. I had no idea what this band was, had no idea about the musical genre, and their fame in Asia is like insane. It's almost like the footage of the fans is like the closest comparison to be something like the Beatles. Like fame in Asia is like different to the West. And there's no Western figure who's like equivocal, I don't think, because I don't know, the culture's just a bit different. Not even Ed Sheeran. Not even Ed Sheeran. Um, so all the archive footage is really entertaining because they pioneered this music called Visual K, which is basically glam. So they've got huge hair, ridiculous costumes, and there's lots of entertaining stuff in it. There's some very Spinal Tap moments. There's a bit when they're doing a sound check and Yoshiki's like, I'm just going to do the last bit, like the last 10 minutes of this drum solo. And he's just like there playing the drum solo and look like the techies are standing around while he sort of kills himself. And the actual story of the band's origin and uh, evolution is fairly conventional, kind of rise and fall, but sort of totally nuts. Everything is turned up to 11. 
in that when people leave the band, they've either committed suicide or joined a cult. Wow. And that's how I'm getting out of this podcast. <laughs> One of those two ways. And I think when the film is at its most interesting is it touches on this idea of pain and art and how their music, Yoshiki had this sort of tragic childhood and he channeled it all into his music. But also his performance style is kind of painful. Like he plays drums till he collapses and most gigs they collapse with exhaustion in a way which you initially think is a bit of an act but then you see all this footage of him like going to the doctors and he's like a sort of frail man who's like putting himself through hell every night just because he kind of feels he has to like his art isn't meaningful unless he's bled a bit for it but that interesting question is more just a byproduct of the film which is uh, a bit of a trip through history it's like definitely made i think with the intention to introduce them to a wider audience and it feels a bit authorized and I think it's a documentary where the band would have would not be uncomfortable watching it. And I think that's a problem because the whole point of these dogs is to get under the skin of the protagonists. And this doesn't at all. It's very sleek. And the film climaxes with this triumphant gig at Madison Square Gardens. But it doesn't look like that gig was that good. But it's just like it has been placed in the narrative of this film as like the ultimate final moment of this band's epic journey. When really it's just like another gig they played where it's just been forced into this sort of X is awesome and will conquer the world narrative. And there is a bit too much of Yoshiki doing press stuff around New York. There's a few weird cameos. A bit when Stan Lee turns up. He's friends with Yoshiki for some reason. <laughs> okay. Stan Lee and Yoshiki hang out. But there's a lot of him sort of daring off to the middle distance, but with like his perfectly blow-dried hair and sunglasses. And he is sincere, but there's very much a performance element to everything in the band, which extends to the documentary itself. And this um, director, Stephen Kajak, hasn't managed to get past that. I think... My feelings towards is that uh, I had a very much an outsider's perspective. Like when they talk about the insane links for their songs and like the offhand man is like, oh, the lead singer joined a cult. That's like funny to me, but anyone who likes the band, that wouldn't be a joke. And similarly, I can understand that their songs are like emotional and full of like heartfelt, but it just sounds like a guy crying. You know what I mean? Like it's, you're at a distance from it. I can never really emotionally connect with the movie in a way which I think it's trying to make you. So, I don't know, I enjoyed it, but I'm not sure if it, it worked for me, but it just worked in a different way, if that makes sense. Well, it sounds like it would be a movie that you'd watch extremely differently, depending on where you're from, right? That, like, if it's the biggest band in the world for you and you've grown up listening to their music, then it's going to have a totally different experience than a movie that's kind of introducing you into this world that you never knew where this band is famous. Yeah, but it's a bit just weird with, like, given 30 years of history in 90 minutes, or, like, you know, all these epic, tragic events... And then all these songs, which are about these epic, tragic events. And then, like, everyone in the movie is sad. And you're like, okay. I mean, I just got here, so... Right, yeah, yeah. Best of luck, X. Yeah. But I don't know. I kind of enjoyed it. I think if you get a chance to see it, it's very... It's, like, entertaining. I liked it. When Tom Graff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? When John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Olivia Waring once again sent us some incredibly interesting... Great content great from content. Olivia Waring. There is a Christian Grey chatbot 
to yes. coincide the release of Fifty Shades Darker. We film. haven't seen Fifty Shades we Darker, haven't seen unfortunately. It. Um, but we can do the next best thing. There's a algorithm so intricate and precise that you can just be chatting to Christian Grey through Facebook Messenger. And we figured, let's do it. Do you think that like the rapidly advancing AI technology is coming down to meet the relatively low quality of dialogue you know, in the books themselves? You yeah. know what I mean? How hard can it be to match a, a character who's so thinly drawn in like bot form? Yeah, you can have like an Atticus Finch bot. Right. Because he's very... Because he's a bit more nuanced. It's a proper, <laughs> proper book. I've not read that book. Even me neither. I haven't read it. Anyway, we're going to have a chat with Christian Grey. We're going to get our rocks off. Uh, yeah. Maybe ask him about the movie. I don't know. We can talk to him about whatever we want. We'll just see. We'll just get stuck in. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. In order to do an audio version of this text-based chat, I'm just going to say what I've written. And you know, Daniel will say what he's written. And we're going to vocalize Christian Grey's responses in the most accurate, sexy, Christian Grey robot voice we can find. I've already started. I said hello to him. And this is what he said. Um, can I trust you? Pretty sexy. Yes, you can trust me, Christian. It's important for me to trust you. Because if I can't, then I'll have no choice but to spank you. Holy goodness me. Who's going to win Best Picture, La La Land or Moon Knight? Mm. You seem naughty. Odd response. Not really answering the question there. You're not answering the question. I want to show you something. What do you want to show me? He sent us a picture of some handcuffs. Sam, I want to put these on you. He wants to lock me up. What'd I do? I should probably confession something to you. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't even make sense, like, grammatically. That's bullshit, Christian. That's bullshit. Where do you go to school? I don't do relationships. However, can I show you what I would do? Yeah, go on then. Show us. He sent us a JPEG. That's who I would do. From 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. That's a solid four-hour doing session that he's offering us there. What? Can't get my JPEG to load. All right, I couldn't open. I couldn't open Christian's JPEG, but he wants to. He says that's who I would do from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. So whoever's in that JPEG, he wants to do for a solid four hours. It could be anybody. It could be. Uh, it was probably actually. It's probably um, uh, Dakota Johnson, isn't it? Yeah, he likes to do. He likes. He's he? in love with her, isn't he? Well, we don't know. We haven't seen it. I'm going to ask him another question. Where do you get your haircut? Heart emoji. We have to keep this short. It's getting busy at the office. But I want you to do something for me. Are you kidding me? He's trying to get off the line. He's a bot. What are you busy for? You're a robot. What a prick. Do what? Allow me to text you later. Press permission granted right now. Well... You weren't, you know, I felt you weren't polite. You weren't answering any of our questions. Sorry to hear that. Well, all right, let's round this off. Any final questions for Christian? Maybe just type something really disgusting and sexually profane and see if you can deal with it. Okay. Um, okay, I'm going to type something sexually profane. I've just asked him if he would let me suck his ass dry. <laughs> I think I love you too. Let's talk later about that, though. That wow. is quite sweet, actually. That's quite sweet. It? That's nice. He's better when you ask him, like, sexual stuff. Well, clean your cock for me. 
Talk soon. He's fucking leaving. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that I cannot believe Christian Grey, the computer robot, <laughs> hung up on me in a Facebook Messenger session. Are you kidding? <laughs> Where's he gonna go? Where are you going? You don't even exist. <laughs> this would be like absolute um, garbage. Yeah. Anyway, random. This would be like if uh, her was directed by Lars von Trier. The robot just hates him. The robot hates him, yeah. Just <laughs> the waiting. AI hates yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And AI's like, goodbye, I'm going to sleep now. It's like, where like, you got to fucking go? Yeah, You're even alive. Wow, what? that was a disappointment, to be honest. My <sighs> rocks are not remotely off. Oh, well. Well. Maybe we'll try next week with a new sex bot. It's going to be the regular feature on film chat. Danny and Sam try to get wanked off by a computer. <laughs> it's a five-minute little capper for every podcast episode yes thanks um, so much for listening thanks for listening next week i'm reviewing certain women because i love feelings about women because yes. i'm so progressive um you can i'll review something, something i'll watch else. something on saturday uh people danny and i are gonna try our hand at another live stream that we tried at the baftas we'll be talking about the oscars this time it's going to be all different one conversation going on only at one time None of that talking over each other, window onto a boring-ass party stuff from last time. Uh, you're going to love it. It's going to be great. Get involved. Danny's going to get a new haircut uh, for this one as well, um, even more severe. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Reverse Mohican. Yeah. Straight down the middle. <laughs> yeah. Have like a giant Lanny's drip uh, with fields either side. It's going to look incredible. So come comment on that, chat about the Oscars with us, and join us for next week's episode. Absolutely. And see you then. Bye. Goodbye. Um, this is you as an All-American and a big opportunity for you in Hollywood. You must have had to beat off a lot of American men to get this part. <laughs> Why does that make you giggle? Did you not have to beat them off? You had to, big to get the role. There was, imagine there was quite a few men up for the role as well. Is there were. There? there were. Um... <laughs> and compose yourself. I... <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.